I don't know about you guys. When I'm praying about exhaustion. Uh, I am in the front seat of exhaustion. Um, many of you know we have moved, and uh, we close on our our uh, old house tomorrow. And so uh, we have yes, praise the Lord. We have been working tirelessly for the past month or so because we moved into my grandmother's house. And she moved into a new, um, you know, independent living apartment, which is great for her. She's probably watching right now. It's an awesome place, and she's really made it feel like home already. And uh, but uh, over the past month, we moved her into her new place, helped her have a massive estate slash garage sale, and then we moved. Uh, I'm feeling it right today. You know, I mean, I I uh, and. and just to put it in perspective, I my Fitbit, which I wear because I like it, um, and apparently I'm I'm enough of a millennial I can't go anywhere without some technology on me. Um, but uh, I I walked the equivalent of 61 miles last week, <laughs> and the week before 55. And I just I thought you know this moving stuff is really good for weight loss and. Uh, uh, and, and the other thing about it is you can eat more of what you want. You don't have to worry about it. Those are the kind of calories I need to burn, you know. So, um, But I know, like, I just, I felt this morning, even though I've been meditating on this word and praying about this for weeks, I could feel the weight of what I have been through. And, uh, and I know I'm not the only one who just is feeling tired today <laughs> because I've, I've also noticed that some of us are dragging this morning. And so, um, so... The good news this morning for all of us, the good news is that Jesus Christ is a place of rest. And, uh, and one of the things that the word of God is clear is that in Christ we've rested from all of our works, right? Because Christ has done everything for us that, that is necessary for us to be righteous, accepted by the Father, so if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are righteous because of Christ, not because of yourself. You're accepted by the Father. I think it'd be really great for us to practice just from it, just receiving that acceptance. Can we just say, if, if, if you're a Christian, let's say together, I am accepted, right? I am accepted by the Father. I'm accepted by the Father. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Uh, we're starting a new series of teaching this morning. We've talked a lot about salt, right? Because salt is an important, uh, it's an important concept in Scripture. Because the, the Bible is really clear that we as Christians, we are a preservative for a broken culture. What Adam and Eve broke, God is restoring through us. And he began the work with his son Jesus. The, the word calls Christ the first fruits of the resurrection life of God. What does that mean? It means there's a harvest to come. And you're a part of that harvest, and I'm a part of that harvest. It's who we are. And so then we're learning what it means to live as if we're a part of that harvest and no longer a part of the brokenness of this world anymore. We are made healthy and right in Christ. And we know that there's plenty of rot in this world still. Am I right? Anybody watch the news this past week? I mean, can we just say there's a lot of brokenness in our culture? And, and I, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you stand on. Everybody spins things in different directions. But, but, but the, uh, the, the killing of Breonna Taylor was a tragedy, okay? It was. But then the way people are responding to it is a tragedy. 
Um, there's so much brokenness in our culture. And the only answer to that is Jesus Christ. And so here's the thing. When we see moral brokenness, when we see rot, when we see racial inequality, racial tension, whatever we want to call it, that's brokenness. We can call all these things out for what they are and understand that in Christ we're, we're resting from those things. We don't have to participate in those anymore. And so we're different in him. Um, excuse me. I, I, don't, I promise I'm not sick, um, but I have allergies. And I breathed in a lot of dust going through things. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but I feel great. I slept, I slept like a rock last night. It was beautiful. Um, so, <laughs> that's right. I've had, a, there's a lot of good coming out of these things. But, um, so, so, as we're looking at the Beatitudes, here's the, here's the mindset that, that I'd like for us to explore. The Beatitudes are actually Jesus' ex- explanation of the qualities of being salty. Okay, so if we've talked about, about saltiness and we're supposed to be salty, have the flavor of Christ, right? That's what we've been talking about. That's what it means to be salty, to have the flavor of Christ rather than of the world. The Beatitudes are actually God, Jesus listing out for us what it looks like to be salty. Because if you look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, in fact, let's go ahead and open up the scriptures because um, y'all, y'all should care a lot more about what the scriptures say than what I say, right? So um, I'm just here to open the scriptures. That's really my, my job here. Um, in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled by people. But if you notice, verse 13 follows the Beatitudes. That's important. Because here he lays this whole thing out. Let's, in fact, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter, verse five, or chapter 5 of Matthew, and we're going to just read through it, and we're going to read 2 verse 13. I want you to think of these Beatitudes as descriptors. He's telling us what it means to be salty, and then he's going to say, now I want you to know you're the salt of the earth. Okay, now listen, listen again with that in mind. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the, he went up the mountain, And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, Now first, we need to recognize who's Jesus talking to. Yeah, he's talking to his disciples. And we, by virtue of being disciples of his disciples, are also his disciples. When he said in Matthew 28, Therefore go into all the nations and make disciples, his disciples took that seriously, and they went into all the nations. They made disciples of Jesus And so we are a part of that continuum of the disciples of Christ who made disciples of Christ on down through the centuries, and here we are. We, too, are his disciples. So when Jesus pulls his guys in and he says, hey, listen, I want to teach you something, guess what? He's pulling us out of the crowds, too, with him to teach us what it looks like to be salty. And here's what he says to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, uh, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. You see what's happening here? You see what he's saying? Every one of these beatitudes corresponds to some quality of the world that is broken and off. And Jesus is correcting it. I've often called Christ and the Holy Spirit our cosmic chiropractor. He's putting us back into alignment with what is real. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, you all, uh, but I felt what it's like to be out of alignment in my body. I felt it recently as I carried heavy boxes. <laughs> okay? Uh, it... it is not comfortable to have back pain or shoulder pain or for something in your body to be out of whack. It throws everything off. Pastor Dwight this morning has a pinched nerve in his neck, and, and so we need to pray for him, but just like he, had, he couldn't get here because he was in pain. To have one little thing off in your body can throw everything off. And so what Jesus is showing us is, hey, listen, if any of these attitudes, any, any of these, these dispositions, these 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 uh, patterns of your heart are out of sync with the God of the universe, you're going to be tasteless. You're going to be bland. And that's not who you as a Christian are called to be. You are called to have the flavor of Jesus. And let me tell you, he is savory. And he's also sweet all at the same time. He's like that perfect food that hits all your taste buds at the same time. I don't know what that is for you, for me, it's probably barbecue of some kind, you know? I mean, um, where, where you get the salty and the sweet at the same time. I mean, just, can, I mean I, you know, give me some, some, uh, some spicy dry rubbed and then basted with head country. And you got, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm done. That's it. That's all I need. And, and, and that's what the Lord is calling us to be. He says, when you're, when you're firing on all cylinders, like when you're, when you're, when you're doing all these things and your, oh, your heart disposition is all turns t- turned towards him. You will be salty and you'll taste good. Now, it doesn't mean that the world is always going to receive you as good, right? Because the world's palate is broken, right? Uh, I, um, I, I, my, I know my wife's in the nursery, so I can, I can talk about her a little bit. Although she'll probably listen to this later. I've been trying for years to get that woman to like jalapenos. And I, I don't know what's wrong with her mouth. But she doesn't like jalapenos or habaneros or all these peppers. You know, I love sriracha. Can I, anybody out there? Sriracha? Come on. I mean, uh, but she has a different palate than me. And I've actually just learned to accept her, you know. Although occasionally I'll make a dipping sauce. And I'll be like, hey, babe, try this. And she'll try it, and it's spicy. I'll be like, I- I'm sorry. That was my sin nature. But, uh, you know, but, but her palate is different than mine. So here's what the Lord is doing for us. He's, for us as believers, he's corrected our palate. We see what is right now. But that doesn't mean that we always live in accordance with it, right? Because here, we, we say this too, we all have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean we're always living full of the Holy Spirit, right? So some Christians go through their whole life with the presence of the Spirit, but they never live full of the Holy Spirit. And so they don't have any victory in their life, and they don't have any power. And that's why Jesus says that 
when he, when he talks about the parable of the, of the four soils, you remember that? The good soil, he says some of you produce 60 or some, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. So we produce at different levels. But I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a 100-fold Christian, right? Like, I know I'm a Christian. I know I have the Holy Spirit. I know he's in my life. But then I want to be full of the Holy Spirit so I can produce at the, at the highest amount possible out of my life. Because when I get to the end of my life, when, in the, in, in, when the Lord surveys everything that I've done, I want him to say, boy, you really lived consistent with who my son is and who you are in him. You know, and again, nobody who gets into heaven is going to be bummed about it. Like, it's not like any of us, it's not like the person who squeaks by producing, you know, 30-fold is going to be like, wow, I'm really bummed about being in heaven. No, no, we're all going to be glad to be in his presence. But what I'm saying is, don't you want to maximize your life now so that you can have more to show for it in eternity? I, I do. I hope we all do. I hope that's our desire. And so, if we want to be that kind of person, here's what we want to be paying attention to over the weeks as we go through each of these Beatitudes. We want to be asking the question, is this present in my life and to what degree? And where do I need to repent so that I can have more of this? So I can be more of the kind of person Jesus is. Now, Christ is the ultimate human. We know that. He is our example of what it means to be fully human in every way. The world doesn't understand that because, once again, the world is so broken because of sin. Okay, we know what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve chose to indulge themselves rather than trust in the Lord, right? And so here, the way of the world is to be turned inward. And, and I think it helps us to understand the world that we live in if we can understand that is the fundamental problem in the world. In fact, the fundamental problem of humanity is that we have chosen to walk in self-centeredness with our father Adam rather than in self-sacrifice with God. The world thinks, I've got to go get mine. I got to go after it. I got to, you know, uh, most people sort of have this mindset, well, I've only got so many years to live, so I better enjoy myself. That's an old philosophical concept called hedonism. Like, I'm just going to indulge myself because, because if I, if I, you know, I just, I have to live as hard as I can while I'm here because I'm going to die and I have nothing. That's the way the world thinks. Obviously, we have a different perspective. But if, if the fundamental problem of humanity is that we have chosen to live in a self-centered sort of a lifestyle rather than a self-sacrificing, in other words, it's about me. That's how the world lives. It's about me. We're fundamentally at odds with the way things are. One of the things, one of the words that I, I hear, and you know, you guys know I have a philosophy background. My, my undergrad was in philosophy, so we, we used to talk a lot about ultimate reality. Like, well, what a, what a big, weighty concept. What's ultimate reality? It's pretty simple. It's the character and nature of God. He set things into motion, and so everything, everything in this universe that is right bears his image. And if we are out of sync with who he is, then we're actually out of sync with existence itself. And it's no wonder it seems like the universe is trying to kill us. You know, like every time an, a, a, a scientist is like, there's an asteroid coming our way, I'm like, yeah, probably. And, if, and the only reason it won't hit us is because God's grace will stop it because he still has a plan for this world. <laughs> because the whole universe is groaning against us because we broke it. God created it perfect. We broke it. 
I want to read you a quote. This is from a book I've been reading called Our Good Crisis by Jonathan Dodson. Um, And I think I might have read this quote before, but that's okay. You probably forgot it by now. Um, So here's what he wrote. The secularizing impulse removes God from his place of power and substitutes the self. When self is center, even if it's poor old me, meekness becomes just about impossible. It's hard to be humble when no one stands taller in our, in our own thoughts than ourselves. In the age of the big me, and that's what uh, this pastor calls the age we live in, the age of the big me. In the age of the big me, righteousness is an off-putting word because it suggests narrow, dogmatic thinking. We prefer to sort things out for ourselves, to be open-minded. As a result, our functional belief is that we're satisfied not by being righteous, but by being ourselves. Think about the way our world thinks. From childhood, I've heard this. Well, just be yourself. Go find yourself, right? Like, like now the big thing for kids when they graduate high school is to take a gap year because, man, you've got to go find out who you are, you know? It's like everybody's got to live out the premise of the movie, you know, Moana. <laughs> um, if you've never seen that, I'm sorry. It's a great movie. Um, but, uh, but, but like this whole idea, like I've got to find out who I am. I've got to go on a journey and discover myself. Because the ultimate thing is to know yourself and build yourself up. That's the way the world thinks. And as a result, we become very self-centered and even at times narcissistic people where we can't really see anything unless it's in our own interest. We can't see somebody else's point of view because all we're ever doing is looking at our own. I mean, if that doesn't describe the current political climate in our world, I don't know what does. We live in a world today where people have a hard time seeing outside of themselves. They don't understand this idea of self-sacrifice, true self-sacrifice, where I don't get anything in return for it. I do something just because it's the right thing. Because we're so broken, we're always looking for what's in it for me. President Kennedy nailed it on the head. I I said this last week or or the week before, I think, Um, maybe two weeks ago. I I don't remember when the last time was. I've I've been moving, sorry. Um, But but President Kennedy hit the nail on the head when he he understood this problem in our country when he said, hey, you need to stop asking what what your country can do for you and start asking what you can do for your country. Because he understood that self-sacrifice was the key to a strong nation, right? But it's also the key to a strong person. What we don't understand is when we start to turn away from ourselves, we actually are strengthened because we're in line with what is actually true. So I want to I point out like three things here. And, and before we jump into this, I, I, I need to mention this. Righteousness is about position. It's about position. It's not necessarily about all the things that you're doing. It's about who you are and where you are in relation to him, the Lord. Righteousness is, is about being in a right relationship with God being clean before him. It's, it's, it's being accepted by the Father, and that only happens by being connected to the Son, Jesus. Blessedness is directly tied to righteousness, being in right position with God. And by the way, cursedness is tied to the inverse. 
In other words, if you're not right with God, you are cursed as a state of being. That's going to be hard for some people to receive, and that's okay. It's a hard word, but it's also true. When the Bible talks about the curse that Adam and Eve came under, it wasn't because God ceased to love them or because God just wanted to punish them real hard. It's because cursedness is a state of being for someone who is out of sync with God. The world is against you. Everything is against you because you're out of sync with God and everything else wants to be in sync with God. So you are the outlier. You're like a virus and all the antibodies are coming at you. And, and we don't see it because in our minds, we're in the right. You see, because in God's world, right side up is this sort of blessed righteousness where we're in, right, we're, we're in a right position with God. I don't know if you guys have ever watched the, the, the classic cartoon, Super Friends, the legendary superpower show. Anybody? I mean, come on. If you've, I, I'm just introducing you to all kinds of things. But Super Friends was a show about the Justice League from back in the day. I grew up watching this show. You know, it was, it was good stuff. Um, you know, you get Batman, you get Aquaman, and not like the weird new Aquaman, like the cool Aquaman, you know, anyway, um, you get Superman, yeah, you get, you, you know, Robin the Boy Wonder, you know, all these cool DC superheroes, and the Flash, by the way, always wanted to be the Flash, the guy's so quick and cool, um, but, but you get all these cool superheroes who band together and they fight against evil, right? Well, I remember uh, in an episode of the Super Friends, uh, a interdimensional rift or something like that happened. I know, like, it's like, what is that? Sounds so Star Trek. But, um, but and, and, like, this dude came through, and he was the Bizarro Superman. I don't know if you guys remember Bizarro Superman. He was, like, he was from a different dimension that's, like, exactly opposite of Earth, and he was everything opposite of what Superman was. So if Superman was, you know, truth, justice in the American way, all that stuff, Bizarro was like, Bizarro Superman was like, um, was deceit and um, an injustice and like communism or something like that. You know, it was like the exact opposite of Superman. But he was Bizarro because he was weird. Like that guy is the weird Superman. He's not the right Superman. He's out of sync with the way Superman should be. And do you know that the, that the, the comic book guys, the um, comic book, I don't know what you call them, artists, creators, writers, whatever, who created Superman were actually Jewish men, and they actually invented Superman because he was, in their mind, what the Messiah would be like. Now, they, they might have missed a few things here and there because Christ was born in a manger, and he was born in a humble position, but, but they understood this concept that he's this hero, right? And the bizarro was the exact opposite. See, what we don't understand is most of the world is the bizarro Jesus, the world is upside down. Christ is right side up. But the world thinks it's right side up. And another modern example is the TV show Stranger Things, which I'm sure many of us have watched. It's very strange. There's a reason why the name. But, but in the Stranger Things, there's like, a, there's like a, a reverse world that's exactly the opposite of ours, and like all this evil and everything comes out of it. See, but in that show, the people are living in the right side up, and it's the upside down that's the bad place. What we don't realize is we're actually living in the upside down. We are the upside down, apart from Christ. The right side up, uh, we, don't, we can't even see it because we're so broken. It's like I talked about a few weeks ago. It's like we're inside a cage, but we can't see the outside of it until Christ breaks us out, and then we can see the whole picture. So, uh, so this whole idea of blessedness and righteousness is about being in sync with the character and nature of who God is. And that's what it means to be salty. 
So I want to give you um, just three quick things that, that, that I want to observe about this, okay? Um, and, and, and so the first thing that I want to observe out of this is that blessedness and cursedness are both states of being. We've kind of already said this, but, but I want to expand on the idea. Okay, again, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and all these other things are, are here's, here's, the, here's what the blessed looks like. So, um, so blessing, again, it's tied to righteousness. It's about right standing with God. And so, so to have spiritual peace and peace with really the universe itself. You always hear people talking about, man, the universe is against me. I'm like, yeah, it is actually, <laughs> because you are in rebellion against God the Father. So the universe is against you. So if you want to have peace with, with yourself, with others, with the universe that we live in, you do that by having or by being in the place of blessing. In other words, a, a right relationship with God. That's where spiritual peace comes from. And then on, on the other side, cursing or cursedness is, is about being at odds with God and with reality in general. And so there can't be ultimate peace for anyone if we are out of sync with God and who he is. There just can't be. Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There's a couple things that this should trigger for us. One, Understand that if I have the mind of Christ, that means I have perspective that other people who don't have the Holy Spirit do not have. That ought to trigger grace for us, right? I don't want to look at somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit and think, boy, what an idiot that person must be. See, no, what I should be doing is be, I should be saying something like, hey, if it wasn't for God's grace, I'd be just like him. And so we want to have compassion and mercy on people who don't know the Lord, Paul says we're not to judge those outside the church. Remember that? You know who we are supposed to judge? Those of us who claim to be Christian, right? Though we're supposed to look at each other, and, 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 and in kindness and grace and mercy, we, we ask about motivations and, and where, we, where we stand. But we don't judge the world. That's not our job. And yet I've seen a lot of people within the church really struggle with that lately. We look at people who are, who are broken. I, I used to get so triggered and so upset at the world. And I had a man who was discipling me when I was in my young 20s. And one day I was just ranting and raving in his office, right, um, about how frustrated I was with the world. And he looked at me and he said, Nick, they're pagans. Pagans are going to do what pagans are going to do. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. <laughs> you know, he, like, we have to think differently. We have to understand that our job is to lead the world to Jesus, not to judge them in their sin right now. We know they're sinful. We know they're broken. Of course they are. They're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And our job is to show them grace and mercy and love and to tell them about Jesus. By the way, we're not going to be dishonest with them about brokenness. When we see it, we'll call sin what it is. It doesn't mean that we're going to water down the message or, or that we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to call sin anything less than sin and destruction and brokenness, but we're going to do so in a gracious way, in, in a loving sort of a way. 
Because the reason why the ideas of God seem so upside down to the average person is that the average human mind is utterly twisted by sin and death. They have not experienced the restorative power of God like you and I have. Listen, the grace of God is everything, right? Because he opens us up so that we can have faith in him. And, and when Christ comes in and he gives us his Holy Spirit, he begins the work of cleaning us from the inside out. And he, it is a miracle he changes our minds. There are plenty of things that before Jesus... I was foolish about. And by the way, there are still things that even though I know the right thing, I still do the wrong thing at times. So I'm still a work in process, as all of us are. Even the Apostle Paul in Philippians wrote, I have not arrived yet, as he was writing scripture. That, that to me is one of the greatest things. I'm like, Lord, thank you for sending a broken man to write the word so that we would understand that it's okay to work out our own salvation over time with fear and trembling, to understand there's still something in me that needs to be restored. Uh, we are broken people being restored, as our identity statement says. That's a process. So we have a lot of grace towards one another. And by the way, this is really important. We have a lot of grace towards ourselves. You don't have to go whipping yourself when you fail. You just lean into the mercy and grace of Jesus every time. Say, Lord, thank you because you died for this sin already. But then we repent and we don't want to do it again, right? We want to change. So every one of those is a step towards the, the righteousness of Christ in us being fully revealed. So we are naturally trained to think that what is upside down is, is the right thing and what is right side up is the wrong thing. I know that's confusing, but that's how we're naturally trained to think. And that's really what the curse is about. We think what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. And that's the way that most of the world operates. But spiritual poverty, and this is the second thought off of this, spiritual poverty means recognizing our inherent need for God. So most people don't understand they need God. They just think, I just need more of myself. I need to work harder, try harder. I need, to, I need to really build the American dream out of my life so I can really have it all before I die. But spiritual poverty looks at everything and says, none of that's going to ultimately fulfill me. I need Jesus. I can't be fulfilled in myself. I have to actually turn away from myself and from all of my sin and desires and towards Christ if I want to be whole. You see, it's selflessness rather than self-centeredness. Self-sacrificing rather than self-taking. Those who are spiritually poor have come to the place where they see that they don't have all that they need within themselves. And they can't get it from the culture. They can't get it from the latest movie. Those aren't even being made right now. <laughs> Thanks, COVID. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm, they, you can't get it from social media. You can't get it from becoming an Instagram model or whatever that people are doing these days. You, you can't get it from going viral on YouTube. You can't get it from a relationship. You can't get it from anywhere except for from Jesus. And by the way, until you have that rest and assurance in Christ, there's really no way to live a life that isn't about yourself. We use people to get what we want. We use situations to get what we want. 
even when we're being nice to people, there's usually an ulterior motive or an angle. Uh, you know, I remember an episode of Seinfeld one where he was like, hey, what's, what's, what's your angle? You know, and it's like this whole idea, like, I know your heart isn't pure on this, but when we're at rest in Christ, guess what? I, I don't need my wife to be satisfied and happy. I'm choosing her because I'm already full in Christ. And so I can love her in a different kind of a way. You know, I, I don't need my children to be full and happy because I'm full in Christ. And so uh, I love my children because I choose to love them. And you see how everything changes? I don't have to live vicariously through my son. I don't need him to become a football star, you know, like I wish I had become. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to do that because I'm complete in Christ. And so I look at my son and be like, hey, buddy, you do whatever you, what, you do whatever the Lord has designed you to do. That's fine. You don't have to be the person I want you to be. You be the person God wants you to be. I'm, perfect. I'm, I'm perfectly satisfied in Jesus. I don't always live that way. I'll be honest. I, I struggle, but, but I know that's my reality, and it changes everything. It also helps me repent when I see I'm out of alignment here or there. The Lord is like, hey, that's not who you are anymore. I'm like, you're right. You're right, Lord. I need to bring that back into alignment with you. So once we see all this, we learn that the path to life isn't leaning harder on ourselves, but rather it's turning from self and leaning towards God. Um, that's the key to the blessed life is to being Godward. So the character of God is love. This is really important. The character of God is love, and he exists in an eternal self-sacrificing relationship with himself. Now, what kind of an example is that for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, neither part of the Trinity is clamoring to be the greatest. In fact, they're always trying to serve one another to the best of their ability. Christ the Son is our greatest example. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father, right? And Christ the Son, though being God, Scripture tells us, he emptied himself and took the form of one of his own creation. That's a big deal. And, what he, and, and, and while he was living as a man, he was completely and totally reliant on God the Father and the Holy Spirit for leadership. He could have lived with, on his own strength if he wanted to. He had it. It's God the Son. He had the power. He is God. And yet he chose to live as a man. You understand when we talk about how Christ was completely and totally human and completely and totally God at the same time, that's a big deal because that means he put a lot of his God nature willingly down. It's not, he didn't lose it. It didn't go away. He didn't cease to be God. But he was somehow powerful enough to say, even though I have all this power, I'm going to live as a man. I'm going to rely on the Father and the Holy Spirit to lead me. That's our example. He emptied himself. So scripture says he emptied himself. So, so and, and in emptying himself, he became even stronger, the scriptures. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but the writer of Hebrews says Christ became perfect by sacrificing himself. What does that mean about you and me? How do we become stronger? How do we become better? You become better by emptying yourself and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where your power comes from. And you don't cease to be you. You just become the you God intended for you to be when he created you. You become more of yourself when you sacrifice and you empty yourself and receive the Holy Spirit into your life. You become more of the person God created you to be, 
to be, and you become more fulfilled and more at rest. And so the key is not to get more for yourself, but to empty yourself and to receive the Holy Spirit through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we're empty of self and full of the Spirit, we become more like Jesus and more like the person we were created to be. And we become fulfilled. The third and last thing here, the, wor the world seeks self-fulfillment from within, but the blessed seek God. You want to be a blessed person, you've got to look in a different place. It seems like about every song written in the 60s and 70s was some, some, something about looking for love in the wrong places, you know. Um, there's like all these, man, I was going after this woman, she broke my heart. It's also every country music song. It's just a little more, a little cleaner in the country world usually, you know, um, than in the rock and roll world. But, but like that's a theme. You, you ever, I don't know if you guys, any, anyone a music fan in here? I'm a huge music fan. I love music. Yeah, I mean, if you ever see me running down the street in my truck or in my Jeep, and I'm blaring rock and roll. Don't judge me. I just love it, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm a guitar player. I like to listen to Journey in Boston. It's my life, you know? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's because it's more than a feeling, you know? Uh, anyway, um, but, but I just, like, I'm, I'm, in a lot of this music, when I'm listening to it, I'm like, I enjoy it, but I'm like, man, our world is so broken, and we're so broken. We're looking in all the wrong places for, fulfill for fulfillment. And the only place that we're ever going to find it is in Jesus. Empty yourself. Receive more of him. And that's where you're going to find life. And that is what it means to be spiritually poor. It's to know that I do not have what is needed within myself, and I can't add it to myself. The only place I can get it is from the Father through his son Jesus, and he sends the Spirit into us. That's where it comes from. So, so our world is stressed out, right? <laughs> it's so stressed out, and I'm stressed out living in it. But the world is stressed. The world is anxious. The world is on edge. Why? It's because it's cursed. But the curse is because it trusts in self rather than in God for fulfillment and satisfaction. That is the curse. The world thinks it can build peace for itself by trying harder, improving itself, and willing itself to being better. It's not working. It's not going great. The Christian has peace. The Christian has rest, and the Christian has an overall sense of chill. <laughs> Why? Because we are blessed. We stopped stressing over trying to do it ourselves, and we trusted in Jesus, who has overcome all our brokenness for us. We, and when we trust in him, we know we can't lose, because he can't lose. If I'm in Christ, Peter calls Christ the ultimate ark. If you're in Christ, no floodwater is going to sweep you away. No anxiety of this world is going to sweep you away because you're in Christ and you're secure in him. What's the worst thing this world can do to you, Christian? Kill you and send you straight to the presence of God? That sounds cool. I'm down. So in short, if you're poor in spirit, you're rich in Christ. And if you, if you think you're rich in spirit, then you're really poor and you don't even know it. But let me say, if you're rich in Christ, no one can take that away from you. 
no matter where you are today, and I, I, I say no matter where you are today, whether you're a Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for years, maybe you've never followed Jesus before. Maybe you're watching this online. Maybe you're here. I don't know. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've played the game of religion, but the whole thing's really been about trying to fulfill yourself by doing all the right things, checking off the list. Let me tell you, religion can't save you, but Jesus can. Let me tell you that your work can't save you, but Jesus can. Your kids can't save you, but Jesus can. Your, your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever can't save you, but Jesus can. No matter where you are today, Jesus calls all of us to turn away from ourselves and towards him. If you're a Christian, maybe it's just taking the next step. Maybe it's looking within yourself. Like I said at the beginning of this, what is God calling me to repent of? What, what's one part of my life that's not in sync with who he is? I'm not poor in spirit in this way. How's God calling you to become more like Jesus today? Lay yourself aside. Know that you need more of him. You can't get there if you don't realize how badly you actually need him. That's the problem. We have to realize how badly we actually need him. That's really hard for us Americans who think we have everything. But for all of us, we could stand to acknowledge more today how much we need Jesus and then live like we need him more than we ever realized that we did. I want to pray for us, and, and here's what I want to invite us to do. We're going to, um, here in just a few minutes, we're going to, um, we're going to have a blessing, and uh, we're going to close out the formal, if we call what we do formal, part of the service. Um, but we're going to extend our service after through ministry. If you're watching online, you can call our number or text our, uh, our, our prayer line. Either way, either way. We'll pray for you. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you as well. If you're here in person, you're going to find, you know, I'll be here, Pastor Richard. We have several others um, who are on our prayer team who are going to be around. Find one of us, and we're gonna, we would love to pray for you and help you do business with the Lord this, this morning. But all I know more than anything is as we return to him, we are acting as a preservative on this broken country, right? Because we are salty. And a little bit of salt can do a lot to stem the tide of rot. And that's important. And you and I matter in this world because of who we are in Christ. So I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that you've called us to be poor in spirit. God, thank you that you showed to us that we're not naturally that way. Thank you that you revealed to us how broken we are so that we know we need to repent. We need to turn away from ourselves and from our sins and towards Jesus. Lord, help us to make it about Jesus. Help us to make it about turning towards him. I know so many people get hung up on the sins that they have to give up. But that's not the point, Lord. Help them to look at Jesus. Help him to see him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, and to see that he's better. Jesus is better, Lord. Help us to walk as if Jesus is better. And those of us who know you, those of us who've been walking with you for years, help us to see that Jesus is better even more than we ever have. 
Lord, give us the grace to take the next step in our walk with you. Lord, we want to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Holy Spirit, help us. We pray that you'd be present. Help us to see areas of our lives that have not been brought into alignment with who you are and help us to bring them into alignment so we can be more like Jesus, so we can be more salty, so that we can be applied to this world and this world can be, become a little bit more of the world that you created it to be. Lord, we seek your kingdom. And Lord, when we ask for your kingdom to come, we want to be the solution. We want to be a part of your kingdom coming in this world. Lord, help us to live that way. And give us grace and mercy to see the broken around us with love and not with judgment and condemnation. The same love that you showed us, that while we were still helpless, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Help us to have that mindset towards our world also. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.